good to see everyone here this morning. We are so thankful to have opportunity to come, be a part of this gospel meeting that starts today. Uh, we're glad that you're here. We hope and pray that you've come with an open heart and open mind to study God's Word. We want to welcome all those who might be visiting this morning, maybe for the first time. We're glad you're here. We appreciate every single visitor who takes time to come and be here in our assemblies. We hope and we pray that you'll be blessed by the singing of these songs, by the offering up of these prayers, and we hope and pray that you'll be blessed this morning through the, the study of God's Word. I think it's very important for us to understand uh, what we set, it, set a, uh, in order to do as we go to God's Word and study this morning. It's important for us to understand our roles and our responsibilities as we study God's Word. Our goal this morning, first and foremost, is to lift up God and exalt His high and holy name. And we strive to do that through a careful study of His Word, the Holy Bible. I hope and pray that you'll pay close attention, not only to the things that I say, but especially to the things that God says to each and every one of us in His Word today. Now, it's my responsibility, as I said in order to talk to you this morning about the good news and the bad news, it's my responsibility to do what 1 Peter 4.11 says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. I've got a very serious responsibility to do my very best to teach you nothing but the truth from God's Word. You know, we have to be careful when we're teaching God's Word that we don't add any of our ideas or our opinions to the Scriptures. You know, the Bible warns us of this in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 6. It says, Add thou not to his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. I've got to be very careful this morning not to add anything to God's Word, because to do so, will reprove, it'll reprove me, and I'll be found to be a liar in the end. At the same time, you know, I've got to be careful that I don't withhold anything from God's Word that would be beneficial to you and your soul. I can't hold anything back that you need to hear and you need to know. This is the way Paul was in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, when he was meeting with the elders from the church from Ephesus. He told them in Acts 20, 27, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I can't add to the Word today. But at the same time, I can't hold anything back that you need to hear and that you need to know. What's your responsibility as we study this morning? Your responsibility is to do what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God. Why? Because many false prophets or many false teachers are gone out into the world. There are many men who stand up in a suit like this, in a building like this, and they have a Bible... And, you know, they say that they, they're preaching God's Word, but the Bible tells us, you know, we have to beware because we know there are many false prophets or many false teachers in the world today. And you need to do your job to make sure that I'm not just another one of these false teachers, okay? Try the spirits whether they are of God. Make sure for yourself that what I'm telling and teaching to you is nothing but the truth straight from the Bible. There are many false ideas, false doctrines, false gospels in the world today. You know, the Bible tells us that it's very, very serious. If we change the gospel or pervert it in any way or preach any other gospel other than what, than what we have revealed in the Scriptures. 
Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, or other than that which, other than that, that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Verse 9, he says it again. I'm going to have to say it again to get all the words out just right. Verse 9, he shows how serious this is. So he says it again. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Okay? There are false gospels being preached in the world today. I'm going to preach the gospel to you this morning, the good news and the bad news. I want you to carefully follow along and pay attention. I ask for your undivided attention to these very important things and make sure that what I'm sharing with you is nothing but the true gospel of Scripture. In Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We find the word gospel here in this passage. The word gospel comes from two old English words which literally mean good story or good message. We refer to the gospel many times as the good news. That's a pretty good definition for the word gospel. It is the good news. And I want to tell you something. I love being the bearer of good news. Don't you? I love being the bearer of good news. But I want you to know this morning, friends, that Sometimes the good news isn't all that great unless we clearly understand the bad news first. Let me try to illustrate this. Suppose I come into the assembly this evening and I stand up before you and I say, you know, I have an announcement. And my announcement would be that I, I've broken my finger. If I come in the, this evening and said, I have good news, I have good news, I have broken my finger... And many of you would sit there and try to wonder, how in the world could James's broken finger be good news? But you know, suppose I went on to tell you the bad news. The bad news being that I was in a terrible car accident, so violent that none of the witnesses expected me to walk away from that accident alive, but I managed to walk away with just a broken finger. Well, that's bad news. That's bad news being in a car wreck that terrible and that violent and only walking away with a broken finger, you know, in light of the bad news, that's, that's good news. If we weren't aware of that bad news, the terrible car accident, then the good news of walking away with just a broken finger might not seem all that great, would it? The gospel of Jesus Christ is the very same way. We've got to clearly understand the bad news before we can truly come to appreciate the good news of the gospel. I'm going to start with the first piece of bad news for you this morning. First piece of bad news I bring to you this morning is sin. Sin is bad, bad news. The Bible does a pretty good job of defining sin for us in 1 John 3 and 4, where it says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is a choice that we make to transgress. The word transgress here means to go beyond the boundaries of God's law, and you can think of God's law as His revealed will right here in the Scriptures. When we go beyond the bounds of, of God's law, we commit sin. 
to transgress, to go beyond the boundary that he has set in his word that separates right from wrong. That's what sin truly is. We also commit sin when we know what is right in the sight of God, but for whatever reason, we choose not to do it. You know, that's what the Bible tells us here in James four seventeen, where it says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We can sin by making the choice to transgress, to step out of the right and go into the wrong. Or we can also sin by knowing that we ought to be over here in, in the right, but refusing to go and do that which is right in the sight of God. We can sin both ways. But what I want you to see from this is that sin is a choice that we make. A choice to do wrong or a choice to fail to do the right. Sin is not something we are born with. There's a, there's a lot of confusion in the religious world today about where sin comes from, how we sin. Sin is not something we're born with. It's not something that we inherit from our parents, our grandparents. It's not something we inherit from Adam and Eve. It's not like your hair color or your eye color or your stature, the frame of your body. You know, we inherit certain characteristics from our parents, but we do not inherit sin from our parents. The Bible teaches in Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, "...the soul that sinneth, it shall die." The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Our little children are not born into this world as little sinners, okay? You know, on one occasion, Jesus looked upon little children. Parents were bringing their children to Christ for him to take them up in his arms and, and to bless them. And, you know, the disciples were forbidding the parents to bring the children to Jesus. And, you know, Jesus rebuked his disciples for that in Mark 10 and 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Jesus looked at little children, and he saw their innocence. He saw the, the childlike faith that, you know, children have in a young age. And he said, allow those children to come up to me. They're like those of the kingdom of God. Little children are not born wicked, evil, or sinful when they come into this world. They're innocent in the eyes of God. God doesn't hold us accountable for our sin until we mature and reach a stage in our life where we have the capacity to understand the difference between good and evil. Now, many of us have come to that age or that stage of maturity in our life. We can clearly see and understand what God wants us to do but what do we do? We make a free will choice to go against the will of God and commit sin. And you know, that's why the Bible says what it does in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, where it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of his glory. person says, Well, I think I'm pretty good. Not so sure I've come short of God's glory. No, the Bible says in 1 John 1 and 8, If we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all sin. We've all come short, fallen short of God's glory. And I want to tell you something about committing sin. Committing sin is like committing a spiritual crime in the sight of God. And if you commit the crime, you've got to do the time. The Bible teaches there's a spiritual penalty associated with every single sin we commit. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Hebrew writer says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, 
lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels, God's messengers who relayed the, the word of God from heaven down to man on earth, for if, the, for if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, it was sure, and every transgression, it says, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. It means every transgression and disobedience against God's word received a fair and righteous penalty. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? Listen, sin is so detestable. It's so vile in the sight of God. It is so opposed to who he is. He has to punish sin. He has to. The justice of God demands that he punish every single transgression and, and disobedience against his will. Now, sometimes that's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. Sometimes we think, well, you know, why, why couldn't God just let one of my sins slide by unpunished? He can't do it. It would compromise his justice. You know, if God let one of my sins slide by unpunished, why couldn't he let two sins go by? And if he let two sins slide by unpunished, why couldn't he let three slide by? And if he let three of my sins slide by unpunished, well, why couldn't he just let all my sin go by unpunished? And if he could let all my sin go by unpunished, why couldn't he do it for you? Why couldn't he do the same for him? Why couldn't he do the same for her? Why couldn't he do the same thing for the sins of the whole world? You see, God will not, he cannot compromise his holiness and his justice. He has to punish the sin crimes that we commit against him. And there's a terrible, terrible place that sins are going to be punished someday. We'll have more to say about it in just a few minutes. It's bad news too. But the bad news I want you to know right now is the bad news of sin. Sin is, the, is bad news of the worst kind. Without God's mercy, without His love and grace, we're stuck in our sinfulness and we're doomed to pay the penalty for it. Our sin leaves us lifeless, it leaves us hopeless, it leaves us helpless, and it leaves us lost. That's the bad news of sin. But I've got good news. The good news comes to us in the form of God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is good news. You know, God would much rather show mercy to sinners than punish them because of their sin. God would rather show mercy. And God has demonstrated His love and His mercy by sending His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Why is this Jesus such good news to you and me? I want you to think about it. We said because of the bad news of sin, we're lifeless. Well, guess what? Jesus came and he brought life. In John 10 and 10, he said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Because of the bad news of sin, I just said we're hopeless. Jesus came and he brought hope. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. There's great hope in that statement. Because we are sinners, Christ came to save us. Because of our sin, we are helpless. You know, Christ came and he brought the help that we needed. He said in, excuse me, in Mark chapter 2, verse 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician. He said, but they that are sick. He said, I'm, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
because of our sin, we're lost. Jesus came and he brought a light to guide us out of sin and towards salvation. And he, he, Jesus said himself in John 8 and 12, I'm the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus is good news. Now for those who are content to go on living in sin and then stand before God and then someday pay the penalty for their sin crimes, you know, Jesus isn't all that good news to them. But for us who would rather spend eternity with God in heaven, Jesus is the best news that we could ever possibly know. God's power to save us through Christ comes through the gospel. That's what we read in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the saving power of God. God saves people today through the gospel. The gospel, the good news is that Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. According to the scriptures. We read the three facts of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. It's important that we understand these facts of the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. He says, by which also ye are saved. We're saved by the gospel. He says, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, plain and simple. Paul declares it once more to these Corinthian Christians, and he reminds them it was the death, it was the burial, and it was the resurrection of God's Son, Jesus. God saves us when we believe in this death, burial, and resurrection, and when we obey this death, burial, resurrection, when we obey this form of doctrine in water baptism. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is the only way for us to be saved from sin. If we could save ourselves from sin, God wouldn't have had to send his son Jesus to die for us. Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he was able to say what he said in John 14 and 6 when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is good news. He's good news. He's provided a way for us to have sin taken out of the way so that we can come back and have a relationship with God the Father. But I've got more bad news that you need to know about. The bad news is that someday God is going to pour out His wrath on those who choose sin and refuse His Son. He's going to pour out His wrath on unforgiven sinners someday in the lake of fire. Unforgiven sinners are going to be punished someday in the lake of fire. And that's bad news. It's terrible news. I don't like to think about or talk about hell any more than you do. But hell is a reality. And it's something that is taught not once, not twice, but many times in Scripture. I'd have to withhold a whole lot of the counsel of God. I'd have to tear out a whole lot of the pages out of my Bible if I decided I wasn't going to teach or preach anything about hell. Let's just look at some of the Scriptures that talk about this. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7, Paul says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction 
from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. I want you to notice here in this passage, on whom is God's wrath poured out with flaming fire? It says, them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who's going to be punished with everlasting destruction? He says, they that know not God and they that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I think Revelation chapter 20 gives us some insight into what it will be like on that great and final day when we all stand before God in judgment. Revelation 20, 11, John says, I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. Listen, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell or Hades delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Someday every man, woman, and child will stand before God and they'll be judged according to their works. And what the Bible teaches us here is that unbelieving, unrepentant, unforgiven sinners will be cast into this lake of fire and they'll spend eternity therein. That's bad news. That's bad news. This lake of fire will not be a pleasant place. I believe Revelation 14 gives us some insight, helps us to better understand what that place would be like. When it says in Revelation 14 verse 10, that they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest day nor night. You know, words like this, torment, fire, brimstone, never ending, never a moment's rest. We think about this. This is bad news that will just keep on getting worse and worse and worse for all eternity. But I've got good news. The righteous, the saved, will inherit heaven. God gives eternal rest to the saved. And we were reading there in Revelation 14, we left off at verse 11. If we pick that back up in verse 12, the Bible says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Heaven is for those who die in the Lord, having kept the commandment of God and having kept faith in Christ. And listen, as bad as hell will be, well, heaven will be just that much more wonderful. Listen to what heaven will be like. I, I believe Revelation 22 gives us a glimpse into the eternal state and condition of all of God's people as we go on into eternity. The words that are used to describe that, that peace, that joy, that bliss are found in Revelation 22 verse 1. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall be no more curse, 
But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. What a, what a wonderful place to live for all eternity. And you know, you can have it. Every single one of you can have it if you put your faith in Christ and you obey his gospel, you can have it. If you trust him and if you obey him, just like the old song says, trust and obey, we can have this wonderful place called heaven. It starts by having faith. Having faith in Christ, having faith in the gospel. The bad news is that many will not have faith. Many will never believe. Many will never trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. You know, those who never place their faith in Christ can never be pleasing in the sight of God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Those who never put their faith in Christ are going to die in their sins. And we just talked about where those sins will someday be punished in that lake of fire. Jesus said in John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, Jesus said, ye shall die in your sins. And because of unbelief and because of a lack of obedient faith, many are going to suffer eternal destruction. Not just a few, but Jesus here in Matthew 7 said many. Matthew 7, 13, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Many will never put their faith in Christ. It's bad news. The good news is that you can have faith. You can have faith. You don't have to be one of the many who will choose to reject God's only Son. You can have faith today. Faith is defined for us in Hebrews 11 and 1 where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is defined as a belief in things not seen. For example, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wasn't there to see him hang on that cross. I didn't see them put him in that tomb. I didn't see him raised up from the dead. I didn't see that. Neither did you. But you know, we know some men who were witnesses to that, don't we? And those men have written down their testimony and their firsthand eyewitness account of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And faith comes by hearing the testimony of those men as it's recorded for us in the Scriptures. Faith comes first by hearing the facts of the gospel as we find them in the Bible. The Bible says in uh, Romans 10 and 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, that's why I'm preaching so much this morning from the Word of God and, and giving you these Scriptures to consider. Because I hope through preaching and teaching the Word of God that faith is cultivated in your heart. That's where faith comes from. It comes by hearing and believing the Word of God. It's very, very simple. We need to hear the Word, we need to believe it, and we need to obey it if we want to have eternal life. And you can do that today. There's no reason why you can't or shouldn't put your faith in Christ. You have opportunity to do that today. Many won't. 
You don't have to be one of the many. The bad news is, just as many will not put faith in Christ, many will not obey the gospel. The righteous few, or the righteous saved are few and far between. It seems like more and more these days. We have many hearers of the word. We have very few doers of the word. James 1 and 22 tells us, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's not enough just to come here this morning and hear the good news and the bad news sermon. It's not enough just to be a hearer. You've got to believe the gospel, and you've got to respond in obedience. Now, many will not. Many will not. Now, I want to tell you this morning, friend, if you hear the gospel but you don't obey it, you're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're saved from your sin. Bible tells us here that when we hear the word but don't do it, we're deceiving our own selves, aren't we? I want us to recall the eternal consequences of not obeying the gospel. We read it a few moments ago from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The Lord Jesus is coming back someday in verse 8 in flaming fire, taking vengeance on who? Them that know not God and them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's going to be the end of you and me if we don't obey the gospel of Jesus Christ? Many won't obey it. Many won't obey it. And the Lord will deal with him when he gets back to earth. He's coming in flaming fire to deal with them. But listen, you don't have to be one of the many that won't obey the gospel. You can choose to obey the gospel today. That's good news, that you've been given time, you've been given opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel in baptism. And I want to tell you something. The Lord wants to save you today. If you're not saved, if you're still in your sins, if you haven't obeyed the gospel in baptism, the Lord wants to save you. In Hebrews 5, verse 8, it says, Though he were a son, that's speaking of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, the word perfect here means complete, being made perfect or complete, he, that's Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. Jesus wants to be the author of your eternal salvation today. But as the scripture says here in verse 9, you've got to obey him before he can be the author of your eternal salvation. He learned obedience first for himself, as verse 8 says, before he ever demanded it from you and me in verse 9. Oh yes, Jesus learned perfect and complete submission to his Father. That's all he wants from us. He wants faith and he wants perfect and complete submission to the gospel plan of salvation that he's revealed to us and given us in the Scriptures. Jesus wants to save you today, and He will, if you'll trust Him and if you'll obey Him. Are you ready to trust Jesus today? Are you ready to obey Christ today? You've all been good hearers of the Word. Are you ready to be a doer of the Word today? I hope and I pray that you are. We know that Christ is coming back to take vengeance on us if we don't obey the gospel. But exactly how does a person obey the gospel? How do we obey the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus? The Bible teaches us how we obey the gospel in Romans 6. 
Romans 6 verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? says, therefore, we're buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin." The teaching here in Romans 6 is so plain and so simple, yet so many fail to see it or have a heart to obey it. How do we obey the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, the Bible teaches us here that when we're baptized, we're baptized into his death. When we're baptized, we're buried with him by baptism into death. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, we come up out of the waters of baptism raised to walk in a new spiritual life. You know, that, and that's why we talk so much about baptism, how important it is. If we want salvation, we've got to die with Christ. We want salvation, we've got to be buried with Christ. We want salvation, we've got to be raised up to that new spiritual life with Christ. And without that own death, burial, and resurrection that we, uh, that we receive in water baptism, we're not able to obtain the, the blessings from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the blessings of cleansing and, for, and forgiveness and salvation. The Bible doesn't teach that we're saved from our sins by saying a prayer or asking Jesus into our heart. The Bible teaches if we want to be saved from sin, go back to that cross, go back to that tomb, go back to that resurrection and obey that form of doctrine. Obey that death, burial, and resurrection in water baptism. And you can do that today. We implore you, we beg with you to do that today if you never have. The last piece of bad news I bring before you today is that today might be your last chance. Today might be your last chance for salvation. Jesus is coming back someday. When, I don't know. But I do know he's coming back. He said in Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. He's coming back. The day, the hour, we have no idea. He tells us to watch, and Scripture teaches us to be ready for His return. If the Lord delays His return long enough, someday we're all going to face death. When? I don't know. But death will come to us one time or another, maybe when we least expect it if the Lord tarries and delays his return long enough. The Bible teaches in Hebrews 9.27 that it's appointed unto men once to die. And after that, there are no second chances. The Bible says after that, the judgment. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. We like to look at yesterday and think about how God woke us up today and think, well, we've got the same promise for tomorrow. But we truly have no guarantee for tomorrow. The only time the Lord has given us is right here and right now. Today might be your last chance. The good news is, is that you can be saved today. You don't have to wait. And this is the best news that I could possibly bring before you this morning. You can be saved today through the gospel, the good news. It's powerful enough to save you today. And God wants to save you today. You know, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me. Jesus gives an invitation, come unto me, he says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, he says, for I am meek and lowly in heart, 
He says, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Will you accept Jesus' invitation today? Will you come to him? Will you trust him? Will you obey him in baptism today? Will you repent of your sin? Will you confess faith in Christ? Will you do all those things? And then finally put him on in baptism so he can be the author of your eternal salvation. In Acts twenty-two sixteen, 16, the preacher Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, who would become the apostle Paul. On this occasion, Ananias told him, and now why tarriest thou? It means what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? He said, arise, get up. He said, and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. What are you waiting for today? What's keeping you from obeying God? I don't, I don't know what it is, but I would hope and I would pray in light of the good news and the bad news that we've talked about this morning, that you'll take every hindrance out of the way and you'll not let anything come between you and having faith in, in Christ and obeying Him in baptism today. Don't turn a deaf ear to this gospel. Don't harden your heart against such good news as this. Get right with God today. If you're here this morning and you've uh, never been baptized into Christ, you desire to obey the gospel, we stand ready, willing, and able to assist you in that. All you have to do is make that desire known to us by standing up, stepping out, having a seat on the front, and we'll help you get right with God today. If that's your desire, make it known by coming forward while we all stand and while we all encourage you with the song that's been selected.